Life can hit hard sometimes. One day everything seems to be going great, and the next we get sidelined by the unexpected. What do you do when the bottom falls out? Where do you turn when the storms hit? When the bank calls, when the job falls through, when that rejection letter comes in, when the doctor gives you the bad news. What or who do you cling to? Isaiah 41.10 speaks directly to the question. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God our Father is for you, even when it doesn't feel like it. Press on in faith. Cling to hope. Reach out to take hold of the hand of love himself. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on. All right. Good morning, Trinity Church. How you doing? Doing well. Well, usually at the end of the bumper video, I'm not up here with friends, but I've got Jared and Ruth Mantanya today. Would you welcome them? <laughs> got a few fans in this area. Now, I, I want to tell you why they're here, and actually, our students' response is expected. They love these guys for good reason, and that's awesome. But I also want you to know that a few weeks ago, on a Tuesday night, when Hilke mentioned that Jared is going to step into a new role at Trinity Church as our College Age Ministries Director, that's exactly what that response was like. So, we're excited for that. Now, I'm gonna, you're, I want you to get to know Jared and Ruth a little bit, and actually, our, our college-age ministries have had some uh, lay leaders who've been doing it, the Thad and Sheree Riley, Sherry, and Scott Blakey have been leading some small groups, but they'd be the first to say, we need to kind of organize this group of young adults and really be able to move forward as a, as a, a ministry together, and that's what we're really excited about. So, Jared and Ruth, let's ask a couple questions. How long have you guys been a part of Trinity Church? We've been attending here for about five years. I mean, eight years. Eight years, okay. Yeah, sorry. I don't yeah. know why I said that. Five and eight. <laughs> they look a lot alike. Tell us this. And, and you guys obviously know Ruth in a role up here, but also, Ruth, you're actually working here at the church as well. What's your role here? Um, I am the student ministries administrative assistant. Yeah, and you've been doing that, I think we said, about three years in yeah. that role. So Ruth has worked with our women's ministries before, and then we did some reshuffling, and she's just focused now on student ministries and doing a great job, a huge asset to our team. So uh, tell us a little bit. You guys have been here about eight years, served in that role. What are some ministries you guys have served in at Trinity? So we this year we started helping out with the high school ministry, which has been great. And previously we were helping out with Praxis, which was the college-age ministry that met on the University of Redlands campus. Awesome. Very cool. And then other areas of ministry in general that you guys have been involved in? Um, Ruth but, with worship. Yeah, and- Ruth has been primarily women's ministry and then worship ministry. Cool. Yeah. Good. Now, when you think of, you know, when we're thinking of the question, why Jared for college-age ministries? Actually, Jared has some great experience. Tell us about what you've done at other churches before you got to Trinity. Yeah, so prior to coming to Trinity, we were involved in a college ministry for about five years at another church in Riverside, and just great opportunity to be with like-minded people, rooting them, reaching reaching their worlds for Jesus. Yeah. Awesome. So we just had a great process, walked a, a hiring process through with Jared, Hilke, and I, and just feel so confident about this next step and excited to see what God's going to do with both of you guys. So we're excited about your ministry. Tell us there's some next steps. Things are starting right now. Yeah, so the date I really want to etch in people's minds, especially this group over here, is May the 10th, and that's when we officially start on Thursdays. 
uh, from 7 to 8.30 in M102. So if you're college age, senior, uh, you know somebody 18 to 25 years old, I just encourage you, visit the website. I'll be out on the uh, patio afterwards if you need some more information. And uh, again, Thursday, May the 10th is when we'll start kicking off. All right. Can you give these guys a hand one more time? Thank you, guys. Very excited for that step. Um, we, last year when we were doing some restructuring with our pastoral staff, we kind of walked away. We had a meeting where we kind of shared these are the roles that were kind of, some were not significant changes, others were pretty significant. But as we walked away, it was just kind of around the table, we realized there's just no one kind of filling that spot of helping with our college-age ministries. And so we're really excited. Jared's going to be an awesome addition to our team and can't wait for just that gathering of those like-minded people, and we're excited about what's going to be happening. So be ready, be listening. High school seniors, you got a place to go as soon as you graduate, so we're excited to see you there. Let me tell you about a couple of things. We are in a series, the third week in a series called Hold On. We are looking at the life of Joseph. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible in chapter 39, if you want to find your way there. And also, if you take out your Trinity this week, you'll see some notes that look like this. If you want to get those out and follow along with us, kind of help to fill in some blanks and track. Also, if you're in one of our home groups, these have your prompts in there, so you'll be ready to have a good conversation later this week. A couple of things I want to let you know about. Um, number one, if you look at your Trinity this week, you'll notice this INDOP that's in there. National Day of Prayer. This is not the only time that Trinity Church prays. is once a year uh, in May, but it is a, a kind of a nationally recognized day where believers would say, you know what, we want to lift up our country, lift up our community. So we're going to do exactly that. We're going to meet at Ed Hales Park. Now, I didn't know that Ed Hales had a park um, until I found out that it's actually the space you would know it as, is that kind of square right across the street from Augie's. So that'll be your marker, okay? Go to Augie's, look uh, east, and it's right there. It's a great little plaza. And what we're going to do is it's, it's uh, something that our church staff is putting together. Not only are you welcome, people who you want to invite to come and pray with us for our country. It's not some kind of exclusive event, but it will be an event that we will be hosting. And, and like you, I don't know if you're this way, when we say that we're going to get together to pray, but we often talk about prayer at different meetings I'm in and things like that, I just get irritated. I'm like, I came because I thought we'd pray today. We're going to pray. And we're not going to put you on the spot. We're going to break up into some smaller groups, give you some prompts of how to pray together. But we're just excited for a time. So it'll be May the 3rd on a Thursday, a couple Thursdays from now, from noon to 1, just an hour in the middle of the day. Come join us. We're just going to lift up our country, lift up our community, and we're excited to have a day like that together. So we'll remind you again next week, but it's coming up in a couple Thursdays. Also, you guys have been very generous. We are in this month, we've kind of made available what we're calling an impact offer giving to our high school students going to camp. Our camp costs has gone up significantly, and we really want to make sure that finances aren't the reason why students miss going to camp. So today, right after this service, out at one of the Easy Apps, you'll see it marked out there, we'll be receiving funds still for our impact offering. The whole goal is to help kids get to camp, especially our high school students this year. So thank you again for your generosity for those who've already given. We're going to do that through the rest of this month, this Sunday and next, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, let me, uh, let me tell you, if you've been here with us, we've been learning a lot from Joseph's life. We've been watching um, a young man who, very similar, this all started when he was 17. 
So we have young adults here in the front who can recognize and relate to that. Some of us can't remember 17, but for those who are living it and just realizing the, the life stage that that's in, to have all of these events, these times like we've titled, subtitled this series where the bottom keeps falling out. Two weeks in a row, we've seen week one where his brothers hate him so badly, they, they sell him to human traffickers who take him down to God knows where to do God knows what. He ends up in Egypt in a guy named Potiphar's home. We left him there week one. Week two, he's serving diligently, faithfully, gets elevated to number two in this household, and then ultimately has this accusation made, a a wrong accusation, by Potiphar's wife. She was making sexual advances to him. He turns it down, but then she turns the story around, says it was him that was coming onto her, and then ultimately he gets sent into slave jail. So we've seen two weeks in a row where there was this place of, okay, Lord, I'll be faithful where I'm at, and yet the bottom falls out again. Welcome to week three, and we're going to see more of the same. And so what I want you to see throughout, it is not just the fact that challenges keep happening, that circumstances that Joseph can't control keep happening to him. What I want you to see is the way he responds. He's exemplary to us. And someone who would say, God, I can't control the different things going on around me, but what I can control, what I am responsible for, is my response. And we're going to see his response again and be encouraged with it. What I want to invite you to do during this series is I want you to watch. I want you to watch a favored son who thought he would be on top of the world who ended up down in the dungeon. And I want you to walk. I want you to get into his sandals and I want you to consider the experiences of your life, how they cross over in some of the things that Joseph experienced and to watch the way that he kept entrusting himself to God. I want to do a quick survey today just to kind of see if what we've kind of thought was maybe true. How many of us, I want you to be honest this morning, and I don't mean that as though you're usually dishonest. We're asking for you to do something new today. But, but think about this for a second. How many of you would say that when we started this series three weeks ago, that you were in the middle of something that felt like the bottom had fallen out? How many of us would say that? Okay. How many of us would say that through the course of this series... Now that it wasn't that way when we started, but now that we're a week or two in, something like that has happened in your life, okay? And how many of us who don't have our hands up, would I just say, it's coming? (laughs) I don't mean to be a gray cloud. I really don't, but I want you to see this, that this is the stuff of life on a fallen planet and that when we think that we have our lives figured out, when we think we're in control, when we are living for a sense of just basic comfort, God comes in and allows things to disrupt that. What I want you to see today is what on earth could God's purpose be in that? And that's what we're going to see what Joseph was clinging to. Here's our now what idea, what we're going to do as we look at Joseph's example for this week. Hold on to Jesus in order to experience his presence and watch him use you in people's lives. That's going to be the way that God's going to work in Joseph today. Number one in your notes, Joseph's story isn't so much about showing up for the big game, but about being dialed in during practice. Joseph's story isn't about showing up for the big game, but about being dialed in during practice. And what we're going to see today is that Joseph doesn't wait for these amazing moments to finally show up and be faithful and obedient to God. He's obedient to God in the day in and the day out. Not just waiting for the big game, but during practice. Your Bibles are open to Genesis 39, beginning in the second half of verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord, Yahweh, was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. That sounds a little bit familiar from last week with Potiphar. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Listen to this. The warden paid no attention. This is a guy whose job is to take care of prisoners. He paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because Yahweh, the Lord, was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. What I want you to see today is I want you to see Joseph's response. Where we left him off last week, he was wrongfully accused. That's hard enough to take when you've done everything you could. He had such a God-honoring response to this wife who was reaching out to him, sexually advancing towards him. He had such a God-honoring response. And then not only to be able to resist that, but then as a result get punished for resisting it. We talked about just the challenge that would be at a, a, an internal um, soulish level to keep putting one foot in front of the next. But Joseph does. And what I want you to see about Joseph is the circumstances in his life keep changing, but his response is consistent. God, wherever you put me down, I'm just going to simply keep living out your giftedness for me, your purpose for me. But Joseph had an understanding, even from these initial dreams and visions, that he was called to leadership. He was called to be someone who would lead other people. And so he just must have, in his own spirit, as hard as this was, realized, God, you have me here. I didn't expect to be here. I don't want to be here. But I'm going to be who you called me to be here. And that's the power of what we keep seeing in his example. This reality is, is that rather than turning his plight into a pity party, which is so much the way that we respond. So many times I've responded, God, this isn't fair. God, I'm frustrated with your injustice, it seems, in my situation. Joseph keeps going. And he does what has marked his life all the way through his bondage in Egypt. He chooses to serve faithfully to the fullest of his capacities where he is, not where he wishes he could be. This brings to mind a kingdom principle Jesus would share 1,700 years later with his disciples. He would share this idea. He's talking about a parable, the parable of the talents. And in the middle of it, he says this, Matthew 25, 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And I want you to see this. What he had done is the master had given three different servants, three different amounts of resource, one five, one three, one one. And as they go and are supposed to invest these, two of them come back and they hear these well done statements and look at how he phrases it. What I've entrusted you with, the little I've given you now is going to multiply to much. And here's the kingdom principle I want you to see. The principle is faithful with little, faithful with much. Faithful with little, faithful with much. And I want you to see that this principle has woven its way through your life. When we talk about a kingdom principle, we're actually also talking about kind of a proverbial idea. Here's what I mean. Most likely a job that you took on initially at some point in your life, you came in at the bottom floor. You came in at an entry point. You needed to be shown things. And and at that moment, in those first few days, weeks, months on the job, you had the opportunity to demonstrate, are you teachable? And are you someone who will be faithful, even though you're given just a small amount of responsibilities, can you be faithful with that? 
that principle played itself out. And as you were faithful with those responsibilities, the person managing you saw that and wanted you to do more, asked you to increase your role of responsibility, increase your productivity, whatever it was. That is a proverbial reality. But here's what I want you to see. More important than the boss you work for More important than the opportunities you've had in serving or other capacities, I want you to see this from the kingdom principle of God's kingdom. The way he works, this parable demonstrates to us, if we would be responsible with what we've been given, if we would be obedient and faithful with the circumstances and the opportunities in front of us, not just dreaming about what could be, not being lost somewhere in the future, but being present and being consistent now, God says, that's how I increase your leadership, how I increase your influence, how I increase your capacity is being faithful with little leads to faithful with much. Joseph lived this out, this narrative, long before Jesus ever shared it. And the reality is, is that we see it in our lives as well. I want you to hear this today. As long as you're daydreaming about where you'd like to be in life, maybe you'd like to be married, maybe you'd like to be single, Maybe you'd like to have a house by the beach. Maybe you'd like to have a house. Maybe you'd like to have some sort of management job. Maybe you'd like to have a job. But as long as you are lost in the future, mark this, you'll be of no significance in the present. In your notes, be faith, being faithful is about where you are now, not about when you get somewhere else. Being faithful is about where you are now, being faithful in these circumstances, not thinking, well, God, someday I'll be uber faithful when you give me the right kind of leadership. I'll be amazingly consistent when you give me the right scenario. It's saying, no, it's here and it's now. I think about this in the course of my life. I remember having a conversation just a couple days ago and I was sharing with some people about some of the struggles they were sharing with me, some of the struggles they were going through. And I I share with them this phrase that I've kind of embraced all throughout. And at times I've had more clarity on this and other times less. It's been more of just just one foot in front of the next, a grind. But the phrase is this, is that it's never for nothing. It's never for nothing. And what I mean by that is the things that you are demonstrating faithfulness in today, they might seem mundane to you, They might seem like they're not producing much of an effect. They might seem that they have a real ceiling in terms of leadership and influence. But the reality is, is that as you would be faithful in those moments, it is going. It is God is using it to lay a foundation for the future. And I would say that looking over 26 years of vocational ministry, I keep seeing these ways that God has kept saying, you know, I'm doing this. It doesn't make any sense to you right now. Do what I've called you to do, how I've called you to do it. And later on, I'm going to show you why that was so important. Later on, I'm going to show you why that was building a foundation for what you were going to do in the future. In the moment, I can't see it. In the moment, you can't see it. But what we're called to is faithfulness, even when we don't know where it's leading to. I want you to note again in this text, just like we saw last week, all of this success, quote success, is not because Joseph is alone so faithful and so reliable. It's because God is blessing. God is doing a work in and around him. And I don't want you to miss that as though this was all about that Joseph was such a diligent worker. 
Joseph was a diligent worker, but God was also increasing the blessing and increasing his favor among those he was working with. It's a phrase we used last week in this great partnership. Do what you're called to do and watch God do what only he can do. Do what you're called to do and then watch God do what only he can do. And it's that partnership of God and you working together that you begin to see amazing things happen and just God continue to increase you. And you recognize God gets the credit. Joseph, we're going to see today, is very quick to give God the credit when he does amazing things in his life. And this is this his story. Number two, Joseph's story isn't about self-reliance, but about God-dependence. Joseph's story isn't about self-reliance, but about God de- God's, uh, God-dependence. Let's continue the story, beginning of chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt, otherwise known as Pharaoh. So verse 2, <clears throat> Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So these are high levels of leadership. The word chief is in front of both of their roles. And he put them into custody, put them into jail in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them, these two high-ranking officials, to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, each of them had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. I want you to see this part. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. So we have this this amount of time that's not being uh, said in specific. So we don't know how long Joseph was in this leadership capacity. We don't know what time these two high-ranking officials were put into prison, but they're in Joseph's area of leadership. They're under his watch. And what I want you to see, I want you to see an incredibly powerful reality that so often we miss, so often is, is just challenging for us. I want you to see that in the middle, remember, we've never left the idea that Joseph is deeply, deeply challenged by these situations, never expected to ever be a prisoner and nonetheless a prisoner for something he never did wrong, a crime he didn't commit. So in the midst of his thing, we've already seen, he doesn't turn this into a pity party and look what it allows him to do. It allows him to be thoughtful of other people. In the midst of his suffering, he doesn't make it all about himself. So as he's walking, doing his rounds this day, he notices with obviousness these two these two royal prisoners of, of, the, of the royal leadership. And he asked them, you guys look really down today. You're bummed out. What's going on? And they tell him, we've had these dreams that we don't know the meaning of. Now, that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Many of you had a dream. All of us had dreams last night. Some of you remember them. I dreamed about who knows what, me and the Lord. Well, no better, the Lord. I don't remember any of them. So I woke up this morning, have no idea. Some of you woke up and you had a vivid dream last night, but the reality is you probably didn't walk in the door just like, oh, I am so sad. And I would have come to you, what, what's wrong? I had a dream and I don't know what it meant. I'd say it's probably bad pasta from last night. And get over it. It's not a big deal. It's probably not the rest of your life was in that dream. We don't usually have dreams and think of them in such a way that they should mean something. 
But watch this. Remember that this narrative is going on when Joseph doesn't have a shred of the Bible you're holding in your hand. And would we say that because we know that God has revealed himself in his word, his infallible and errant word of God, but would we say that God prior to the written word of God never revealed himself? No, we know he did. And we know even he did earlier to Joseph when he gave Joseph dreams that meant things, dreams that were supposed to have some sort of focus and some sort of direction for his life. So Joseph actually is an understanding person who realizes the significance of dreams. And these two have a dream that they're concerned about because they don't know what the practice, the, the meaning of it is, and they don't know how they're going to find out what this meaning is. So this is the dilemma that they're in. And what I want you to see, I want you to see that Joseph took the time to care. When your life is living at what you would call a relative balance, like a relative, everything's kind of okay and you're just moving through, to take time to stop and ask someone how they're doing, to move into their world emotionally with empathy, that's something we can do. But when we feel as though the bottom has fallen out and people come to us or we come across people's path and they're going through a really hard time, it can be so hard for us to want to even ask, how are you doing? It can be so hard for us to even care of what they're going through because we're so focused on what we're going through. I can remember it with incredible vividness. I had just been with my mom and my dad to the oncologist, and my mom had gotten the diagnosis stage four inoperable metastasized melanoma. And I remember hearing that. We had thought that. I had wondered it for a while, and there's just something about when you get the diagnosis. And I remember having lunch with them, and there were tears at that lunch, and it got them to where they needed to be. And I had an errand to run before I went back to church And I remember going over, I was at the Kaiser facility in the high desert, and I'll never forget walking into the facility, I think I had a prescription to pick up, and a gentleman who knew me from church, I honestly didn't even recognize him, but he just saw me and just stopped, he said, oh, Pastor Todd. And I was just kind of honestly in a daze, it just was kind of a punch to the gut and trying to process this. And he comes up, grabs me, hey, Pastor Todd, I've really got this thing, I really need help, would you pray for me? My son is in danger of losing his soccer scholarship. I'll just never forget, he's on my arm, he's very animated, he's very concerned, he has no idea, totally fair, no idea of what I'm going through at that moment. And every inclination in me just wanted to say, you know what, I just can't help right now. That's exactly what I felt. God gave me the grace to set that aside, at least for the moment, and be able to say, I'm really sorry. Let me take a minute and pray for your situation. We did, and he left, and I went my way. But I'll never forget feeling so aware of my pain and so thinking of his insensitivity. Interestingly enough, he had no idea what had gone on in my day. And that's what often happens to us. The bottom falls out. Sometimes, many times, the people in our world don't even know what's going on, and yet we're so hurt that out of that, we can't begin to think how we could be helpful. 
Joseph saw this through a lens of saying, things have been really hard, but I'm not going to cease to care for the people that God has put in my world. And he does that well. Read on the second half of verse 8 of chapter 40. Then Joseph said to them, talking to these two men with these dreams, do not interpretations belong to God? I follow God. Tell me your dreams. I'll help you with this. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. The Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what that means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Watch this. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. All of that is true. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what that means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Ouch. (laughs) Two different people, two very different interpretations of these dreams. But here's the thing. And I even want you to see this. I even want you to see that where Joseph would be tempted to just want to tell people what they want to hear, he tells them the truth. So the scenario, he's he's asking them, and I want you to see so clearly, he ascribes, I cannot interpret dreams, but God can God is the owner of dreams and their interpretations. Tell me I serve that God and I'll give you the interpretation that he wants for you to have. He goes and he he listens to these two dreams, both of these men in high prominent positions within Pharaoh's house. The first one, the cupbearer. The cupbearer, everything that ends up on Pharaoh's plate ends up first being ingested by this guy. He's the poison taster. There's no way that anything... So this is a very close relationship. It's easy to kind of infer that these two were probably put into prison for some sense of, of a, a mutiny, that they were devising some kind of plan, and therefore they're so close to the king, we're going to get them out into prison, and then we'll settle things. So, so this guy, and Joseph says, you're going to be reinstated, and watch what he says. And when you're reinstated... When you're reinstated, tell Pharaoh, I don't belong here. I haven't done anything to deserve this. Remember me. To the other, he gives an interpretation. Like we said, it's pretty harsh. It's the reality of going, hey, when you walk out of here and get hit by a bus kind of thing. But the reality is he speaks the truth and he tells him also this thing that's going to happen. Now, though this example seems very out of your experience, meaning you're probably not walking up to people often who are really troubled with their dream and say, could you please tell me what this means? You probably go, indigestion. Yeah, you'll be fine. But even though this seems so removed from your daily experience, I would actually put to you today, it's actually very similar. It's very similar to the types of dealings that you have on a very consistent basis. People 
in your relational world, what we say that we're about of people being rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds, people in your relational world are going through challenging times. As much as our hands went up, if you would represent the people in your world today, everyone's hand would go up. There's people in our world that are hurting right now. And in that time, whether it's hurting from situations they cannot change or whether it's concerns about issues, they're at like a, a fork in the road, they don't know what to do, they reach out to you and they ask you, what do you think? They ask you, what's your opinion about what I should do? They ask you, I'm just looking for answers. The people in your relational world that you do life with are wanting to know what you think about situations that they face. And it's your opportunity to speak God's word into those circumstances. It's your neighbor who confides in you that there are real problems in his marriage and he doesn't know what to do. It's your coworker who looks at you and just says, how, we're related to your, your boss that you both share. How can you put up with this nonsense? It's your cousin who confides in you, I have an addiction problem, I don't know where to turn. Those type of conversations you have. And my point to you today is when you get the chance to speak into someone's life, do you give them God's words on the subject or just more worldly blabber? Because watch this, there's plenty of people in their lives who will give them that. Plenty of people who don't know the truth of God's word who will tell them simply, this is my opinion. Simply, this is what you ought to do based on, I don't know why, it just feels right. On the list goes, you, you, the very thing you're holding in your lap or that's on your phone, you have the word of God, and they're asking, even if they're not asking what he thinks, they're giving you the opportunity to tell them. This is what he would say. This is the truth of the situation that you're facing. Question to you today, how are you doing with that? How are you doing when the opportunities come your way, when someone steps over into an area of vulnerability and says, I'm really hurting about this, I'm very confused about that, what would you say? I want to give you two ideas that you can think about. First off, I want you to know something that's modeled to you all throughout Trinity Church's ministries is our value of considering the word of God as the authoritative truth God has revealed to us. We are to live. This is not a suggestion manual. This is how we are to chart the course of our lives, who we are to live under. So do you, number one, do you recognize that all throughout, it's not just here on a Sunday morning in this space, but it's your home group leaders. It's our youth ministry leaders, our kids workers It's all of our Bible study leaders. We are constantly going back to this book unashamedly, unabashedly, because we believe it has answers. We want to know the truth, and like Jesus said, we believe the truth will set us free. So that's why we keep coming back. So you've seen this modeled well. So now the question is, when you're asked this question, what do you think, what should I do? You've already had modeled for you people who say, truth is here. Look to God's word for answers. Then you would say, well, Todd, it was easy for Joseph. God gave him the interpretation. He didn't have to look through 66 books to find it. I don't know how to tell these people answers. Okay, that's fair. So let me throw this out to you. 
When you have an issue that you're dealing with someone, you're trying to help them, and, and you know, you just know, I know the Bible says something about this. Let me tell you what not to do. Don't just keep talking. Have you ever had this happen when you were in school? You ever have it where a teacher is, you know, putting up notes on the board, and somebody asks a question, hey, what about? And you could tell there's kind of a pause a little bit in the response, and, and then you just begin to hear this diatribe of words, Lots and lots of words. And you're realizing as you're sitting in this chair, they have no idea of what the answer to that question is. They're just kind of talking and talking and talking. And then at the time, okay, does that make sense? The person who asked is just like, "Mm, okay, sure. Everyone knows they didn't know. You don't have to be that person. Because I think that's what we do when we feel like we're in a corner. It's not like a corner that someone's angry at us. We just want to show up. We want to bring the word of God, but we don't know exactly what to say. Stop blabbering and do this. These are two really good responses. You know what? I know the word of God has something to say about what you're going through. I wish I knew it like that, but I don't. Could I do this? I have some trusted people at Trinity Church that I rely on. Could I talk to them and get back to you? That is such an incredibly authentic, honest answer. And people will never look at you and go, how dare you not know that? They don't know. They're completely confused. Why would they think you're just sitting there holding answers for them? So if you need to do some homework, if you need to go ask someone, if you even need some good tools on the internet, the internet has so many great places to find scriptural answers. The problem is it has all kinds of wacky ideas too. So if you need help even knowing what are websites I should be looking on and what are some to avoid, we can help with that. Give an honest answer. I don't know, but I would love to find out and get back to you. Most people's problems are not going to be settled in that one conversation anyway. I think it screams care and concern and authenticity to go find the answer rather than just say whatever comes out of your mouth. Take the time to get that help and bring them back to the word of God. Your world wants to find answers for their problems. Get them in contact with the source of truth that has made all the difference in your life. Number three today, Joseph's story isn't about power, but about purpose. Joseph's story isn't about power, but it's about purpose. Back to chapter 40, verse 20. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. So now, actually, the third day, remember the the dream, this counts for three days. Joseph's telling him, well, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials, meaning he brought them out of prison, had them stand in front of him. He restored to the the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. For one, hooray. For the other, life is over. Now, I want you to see this. So these things become true. And I want you to remember back. Remember, Joseph didn't even bother asking the baker to do anything for him. He was pretty convinced he wouldn't be asking Pharaoh for any favors. So catch that. Catch that even Joseph's consistency. He asked the cupbearer, when these things come come to play, when you're restored, remember me. Remember me to Pharaoh, to the baker. uh, Sorry, you know, (laughs) there's nothing to even ask. But he does it. He asked that question, and he had that in his mind that this is what would, would be this next step. But look at these 
incredibly ominous cyclical words that finish chapter 40 for us. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. His life, and he's watching the difference between what happens to him being reinstated and his this other conspirator who's going to be killed. Amazing gratitude must have been going through his mind. Amazing chain of events. But so much so he doesn't remember the one who gave him this dream and what was going to be the, the future. Now, let's do this for a minute. Let's get into Pharaoh's, or not Pharaoh's, let's get into Joseph's sandals today. I, I want you to know what he knew. Here's what he knew. He knew because he had such confidence in the interpretation God had given him, he knew the cupbearer would be restored to his position three days from now. So now that that day's here, now that he even he knows he's been taken out of the prison, he's going to be before Pharaoh, he knows within minutes, within hours, this is all going to change. He also knows, number two, that his job, he has the ear of Pharaoh. He, there's a few people that are closer and get much more contact with Pharaoh than does the cupbearer. So he has the ear of Pharaoh. Pharaoh rules Egypt. And honestly, at this time, Pharaoh rules the world. There is nothing that would keep Pharaoh from also liberating Joseph and bringing him out of prison. And he also knows that his life could be so much better than giving leadership to prisoners if he just had a shot he just had an opportunity to plead his case, all this would change. You see, if Joseph was focused on his own circumstances, if he was focused on his own well-being as far as he saw it, then everything that we've seen in these first three weeks of this narrative would simply be a series of unfortunate events, continuing to keep him from the life he so badly wanted. But what we'll continue to note And Joseph's response is he believed God was absolutely in control. Whether a cupbearer remembered him or not, God is still in control of his steps. We'll find next week that he is going to spend two more years in this dungeon before there's any change. Can you imagine the waiting You knew what happened. It wasn't just like maybe he was, no, you knew he had been forgiven, that the cupbearer was back in this role, and you're waiting and waiting for there to be some kind of change. But guess what? For Joseph, he just kept putting one foot in front of the next, being faithful where he was. I want you to hear this. If the only lens that you're using to see your life through is the one of your own comfort or your own pleasure or one of your own ambition, And I want to say this, by the way, anyone in your world who doesn't know Jesus would say, what's wrong with that? That's exactly how I see my life, through the lens of comfort, through the lens of pleasure, through the lens of ambition. That's the American way. What would be the problem with that? But we would say, when I will see my life through that lens, I'm living for my purposes, not for God's. And therefore, anytime there's an irritation to those things in my life, it's not pleasing to me, and I want it changed. When we have no idea what God might be using the irritants in our lives to produce. If we will keep seeing our lives through that lens, you will constantly be frustrated because God doesn't have you here for the smallish, self-centered purposes of our own hearts but for his eternal and global mission. 
Look at the way the apostle Paul put it. You can look on the screen from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Watch this. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Look at that phrase, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Why? Because we all died. Watch this. Don't lead, look at that through just some kind of big picture theoretical lens. We died to our control of our lives. We died to our ambitions. We died to our comforts. We died to our pleasure. And by the way, do you remember what life was like when you were living that way? That's the life you set aside. That's the life you willingly gave up because you knew it didn't work. You knew it was constantly being frustrated. You knew it was hopeless. So you died to self and instead embraced a new life in the one who died for you. So those who now follow him, they've set aside their own ambitions, pleasures, and comforts to live out his life. To live out a life of his meaning and a life of his purpose. Look what Paul goes on to say just a few verses later. Chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Write this in your notes. You aren't on the planet for the purpose of being your own king or your own queen, but for being his ambassador. You're not on the planet for the purpose of your own kingship, your own queenship, but instead for the purpose of being his ambassador, his representative. We talk about it. This is what we say we're about, rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. That's the way we reach our worlds is through influence. It's through prayer. It's through being people who represent the character and the life and the truth and the love of Jesus to those in our relational world. And as long as I'm going to set that aside and forget that purpose and try to live for myself, I will constantly be frustrated. God has you on the planet for something so much more lasting, something so much more fulfilling, something so much more valuable. And I want to encourage you, for those of you who would even say, Todd, I'm just having a hard time seeing that. The bottom's falling out and it just doesn't feel like it's a life that I would have expected. It just doesn't feel like a life that is so valuable and worth it like you say. If that's true for you today, can I just put this out to you in closing? I totally recognize that you might be feeling that way today, that there might be a lot of circumstances that add up to be screaming that today. But I want to encourage you, just like we saw a few weeks ago, we read from Max Lucado's book and we said, the lives are not redeemed. God's work in us is not redeemed in minutes, but in lifetimes. Don't give up. Do what these words of this series have kept encouraging us. Hold on. Cling to Jesus when the bottom falls out. And see the way that he's going to walk you through it. And in the middle of that, let's take Joseph's example this week. In the midst of our own difficulty, in the midst of our own hurting, be people with our heads up, with our eyes up, that are looking into the lives of others around us who are hurting 
and let's be agents. Let's be ambassadors of God this week to them. Here's our now what idea as we finish today. As we hold on to Jesus, do this in order to experience his presence and watch him use you in people's lives. Today after the service, we have folks available to pray with you like we do every Sunday. Rather than meet at those doors, they're just going to be down here in the front. They're not going to counsel. They just want to pray for you. And I would hate for you to leave without letting that burden be left here at this stage. So please come forth at the end of the service. They would love to pray with you before you go. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who we, we have set aside our lives. We have set aside our version of our lives, our plans, our comforts, our pleasures, our ambitions. At least we theoretically have. Maybe today that's the biggest takeaway is that we have somehow pulled them back. We've somehow changed our trajectory and gone after them. God, realign us today. Give us Joseph's heart. Give us his feet. Action that says, wherever you set me down, I'm gonna be faithful to live out your purpose in this situation. No matter how long it may be, no matter how different it may be than my version of what you would be doing with me at this point, help me to embrace what you have for me and recognize that I can honor you in this in this season. You may be here today and you would actually have to honestly say, Todd, I, I've really never set aside my plan for my life. I've been living it my whole life and to be real honest, it's not getting me anywhere. Just a lot of tragedy, just a lot of hurt, just a lot of failure. I, I wanna know what God's purpose for my life is. I wanna know his presence in my life. I don't have anyone to hold on to. If that's true for you today, I wanna encourage you that you can respond to the goodness of God's invitation to what we call the gospel. You can respond to it even now. A is to admit, admit you've been living life on your terms, not on God's. B is to believe, believe that Jesus is the only savior available. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died a sacrificial death. Believe that he was supernaturally raised on the third day. And see is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I want to follow you. I, I choose to embrace and put my confidence in what you did for me at the cross. And I want to walk in your steps and choose to live your way. You can make that decision today. There's no class to attend. There's no hoops to go through. The day of salvation is today. Father, we love you. Thank you, thank you that you are bigger than anything we face. We pray in your great name, amen.